0: Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. I want to wish everyone a good morning, good afternoon, and good evening as our audience is spread out across the world. Thank you for joining me. If you are joining us for the first time and want more information about our show, I invite you to please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. You can get all of our information there. Also, please visit us on YouTube. If you have yet to do so, just look us up. In fact, look us up on any of our social media platforms, which include YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter under the name Dead Talk Live. And visit us on YouTube. Go ahead and subscribe if you like what you see. And if you're there right now, it would be greatly appreciated if you hit the thumbs up button on this broadcast. So again, welcome to all of you. Let me say hello to some of you guys joining us. Let's start with the uh, YouTube people. We got CC Weezy uh, sorry, CC Weezy with us, our regular on YouTube. Of course, we have our moderators, Khaleesi and Singerchick and Saz is moderating all the platforms. Marie is moderating on Instagram. Welcome to Philip Thompson on Facebook. Sammy's with us on Facebook. Colette as well. Ruben with us on YouTube. We have a nice big crowd tonight. Mary Martins 42, welcome, joining us on uh, Instagram. Aram is also joining us and waving. Anyway, what would you guys think of that interview yesterday with our special guest, Sarah Paxton? It was a great interview, and I got to say, I learned a lot of stuff. And you hear me say this after each interview, but it's true. With each interview that I do, and I get to spend an hour talking to these people who I've seen on the screen so many times, it's absolutely fascinating for me doing the interview. uh, Yeah, I have to keep on top of stuff and I'm the one running the show and make sure everything goes smoothly. But there are just these interviews where you get just so captivated in the conversation that you actually forget that you're doing a show and quite a few people are watching. But yesterday was one of those times. Sarah Paxson was a fascinating person to talk to. As we all know, she was on the, the Last House on the Left, the remake that came out in 2009. She was in The Innkeepers as the star in 2011. I love that movie. And she's appeared in numerous movies and TV shows. And she was just an absolutely... Fascinating person to talk to. I hope you guys got a chance to watch it. If you didn't, you can watch that in any of our prior episodes on any of our social media networks. And I've met I've announced this before, but I'm gonna make it official tonight. We are gonna have and this is really exciting, Adrian Barbeau, who's appeared in Escape from New York, The Fog Swamp Thing And the list, we can be here for a whole hour, just listing off all her credits. Uh, She will be our guest right here on Dead Talk Live on Monday, February 22nd. And to say that I'm excited about that would be a huge understatement. I'm a big fan of Adrienne Barbeau. I've been watching her. She started acting professionally uh, like in the mid-70s. Uh, right around the time I was born and to be able to now have the opportunity to sit down and talk with to her about all the amazing stuff that she has done and her working with John Carpenter in the fog the original fog the remake of the fog sucked I know I keep saying it but I'm gonna keep saying it till I'm blue in the face the remake of the fog absolutely sucked And I'm sorry, uh, but the story was horrible. It had nothing to do with the actors. uh, Just the story itself should not have had the label of the fog. But anyway, going back to the original John Carpenter version, which I absolutely love. Scary, creepy, everything all combined into one movie. And then, of course, Escape from New York. Now, Escape from New York is not a horror movie, Uh, It's a thriller, action-type movie. Uh, Still creepy, though. Uh, You know, it was filmed in the very, very early 80s. I believe it came out in, like, 1980. So it was probably shot in 79. And it takes place in the future, in the year 1999, which for us right now is 22 years in the past. And in 1999, in Escape from New York... Manhattan, Island in New York, has become a prison where the nation dumps the worst of their worst prisoners. Uh, It is completely barricaded in. The bridges are landmined. There's a wall. Uh, Once you go in, you can't get out, basically. And the basis of the story, for those of you who have never watched Escape from New York, is the president of the United States en route to an important conference to prevent a global conflict, his plane goes down because it is hijacked. And, of course, it goes down smack dab in the middle of Manhattan. And that's where the lead actor in the movie comes into play, Kurt Russell. We all have heard of Kurt Russell. He plays the character of Snake Plissken. And he is recruited to go into Manhattan and bring the president out alive. What they don't tell him, though, uh, until after they do it, is they implant these capsules into his neck. They give him 24 hours, because after 24 hours, that global conference would be over, and the world would be in conflict, another world war. So those capsules, just to give him a little bit extra motivation, If he doesn't bring the president back or has any ideas about escaping, will pop and explode and kill him on the spot. Great movie. I know I just spoiled a big part of it for you. A little bit. Didn't tell you how it ends if you haven't watched it. But she plays a character, a huge character in Escape from New York. Uh, She's already in the island of Manhattan. She is a companion to one of Snake Plissken's foes, uh, his character foes, from before that foe got sent to Manhattan Prison. And she has a huge role in the film, and she plays, uh, she does uh, something heroic in the end. Uh, Lindsay Sparks says, loved Escape from New York. How can you not like Escape from New York? You know, the best way to tell the John Carpenter movies is by the theme music. They are similar but yet different from Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, and on and on and on. One of the factors that makes those movies so great is the theme music. And I don't know how many of you guys know this or not, but uh especially for Halloween, I'm positive for Halloween that famous famous theme music from Halloween, was created by John Carpenter. And it was done very quickly while he was sitting in front of a piano one day. Little did he know that that music that he created for the original 1978 Halloween would, to this day in the year 2021, would be people's ringtones (laughs) on so many phones. And don't deny it, I know there are a lot of you out there who have that Halloween theme music as your ringtone on your phone. Anyway, that's a little backstory to John Carpenter and his theme music. Welcome to Immortal, uh, who's laughing. Music Lover has also joined us on Instagram. Steven has joined us. Uh, little T says, hi, hey, I'm back. Welcome. Lindsay, it's good to have you with us tonight. Uh, so let's see, what else do we have on top? Uh, Here's a little news that you probably don't give a crap about, but I'm going to tell you anyway. My wife ordered me my Christmas presents way back in early December. Well, due to the postal service being completely backed up, they didn't arrive till yesterday. And I found out that she ordered me some really cool horror t-shirts. And I'm wearing one right now. Here it is. creep show, And she ordered me a couple of others horror t-shirts. So I love them. I had to wait well beyond christmas to get them but they were worth the wait so i'm very excited to have my new t-shirts my horror t-shirts that got me a halloween a creep show and a bunch of others so anyway i know that's a little bit of information that you guys probably don't care about but i just felt like sharing uh little watt says i wish i watched all your other lives But I can now. I'm so excited to be back watching your channel. I love your channel. Well, we love having you with us, Lil T. Thank you for joining us. Philip writes, love horror t-shirts. Khaleesi writes, your wife is awesome. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I love the horror shirts. I'm a t-shirt guy. There's no way around it. Uh, Unless I'm attending a wedding or a funeral... Uh, you're not going to see me ever wearing anything else, winter or summer, or spring or fall, but a t-shirt. I'm a t-shirt guy. thats It's just pretty simple. I'm not a shirt and tie and jacket type of a p- person. Never was, never will be. So, that's just a little bit of info. So, let's get to some news. Uh, I told you guys about Adrian Barbeau. We're very excited. Again, the date is Monday, February 22nd. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of other guests between now and then, but you are not going to want to miss the Adrian Barbeau interview right here on Dead Talk Live. So, let's see what we have on tap for you guys today. The Walking Dead tells anti-LGBTQ viewers there's no place for them in the fandom. And The Walking Dead has made it a point... In the past, on their social media accounts, particularly Twitter, that uh, if you don't support the LGBTQ community, they really don't care for you watching their show. And, you know, I applaud them for that. I really do. Uh, They're not trying to play both sides of the fence on a very, it's not a hot topic anymore. Uh, The majority of the people are very accepting of the LGBTQ community. It's not the same as it was back in the 80s and 90s. Thank God those times are gone and behind us. Uh, And for our younger generation watching, just be grateful you didn't have to live through those times. Because it has gotten a lot better over the last 30 years. Let, Let me just leave it at that. The Walking Dead has said there is no place for hateful discrimination or willful ignorance in their fandom. A post on the show's Twitter account yesterday told these people who are uncomfortable or angry with the LGBTQ characters that they should unfollow. And I'm 100% behind that. I have told you guys... I will respect your opinions on matters far and wide as long as it's done respectfully. You share your opinion respectfully, you will be accepted on this show, listened to, and acknowledged. Uh, for me, disrespect uh, is not tolerated. It's just not tolerated. Uh, the, this is the tweet. It says, hello... Uh, If LGBTQ characters on television or anywhere make you uncomfortable or angry, please unfollow us, the tweet began. While we also encourage you to look within and be more accepting, know that there is no place in our fandom for hateful discrimination or willful ignorance. Thank you. And as you can see right there, it is from the official The Walking Dead Twitter account. And this is not the first time they have gone on record to say uh, similar things. And like I said, I applaud them for doing so. The powerful statement is suspected to be related to the spinoff show The Walking Dead World Beyond after two male characters, Felix and Will, reunited and kissed on the screen. And me having lived through those times of the 80s and the 90s and so on. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but there are still ignorant people out there who will see something like that on their screens and go on social media and completely lash out. They can't just keep it to themselves. If it does make you uncomfortable, keep it to yourself. All right, Uh, you don't have to go on social media yeah, you are protected by free speech, and there's no law or anything that says you can't say it. But if you can't learn to be respectful of other people and accept them for who they are, you're right. You're not going to get any good acknowledgement from that, except from fellow ignorant people who feel and think the same way as you do. Uh, Let's see. Lindsay writes, did anyone see the article about Chandler Riggs? Yeah, we actually have... We're gonna, I'm going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, Colette writes, they were awful, ignorant in the 80s, etc. It was bad, man. It was bad. It was very, very bad. And I'm glad that things have changed. I really am glad. Uh, it was back in those days. Again, I'm talking to our younger generation who did not live through those days. It is something that you really have to keep hidden. To get, uh, you know, it's not like today where you can be open about it and have it not hinder you in your career or whatever your dreams may be back then. You really had to keep it closeted up so you can do what you really want it to do to make you happy in life. Uh, Philip Thompson writes, I'm glad things are not like the old days. Uh, Game for Kitties wants to know, what are we doing? You know that's a great question. What are any of us doing? Let's get philosophical. Why are we here? I don't know, but let's continue reading. There was no need. Uh, there was uh, no need to kind of explain any further. And I love that The Walking Dead is putting that forward. That LGBTQ relationships aren't any different than any other kind of relationships. Sharing the show's tweet on his own account, Aladdin added, Forever this, proud to be back at work on the Walking Dead world beyond and bring his LGBTQIA relationship to life before tagging his co stars, Nico Tortorella, who plays Felix. Now, I am going to tell you one thing that I'm confused about. Okay, this is not. I guess it's a little bit of ignorance. Um, I get the LGBTQ. I'm a little confused about some of the other letters being added on. I think I know what A means. I? Does anyone know what the I means? I mean, I I don't know. I, I just don't know what it means. And the plus sign, what does the plus sign mean? So, I'm sorry, I'm just sharing a little bit of my, you know, as the days go on, the the, the term changes, more letters are added, and I'm trying to stay up to date. But I, I think I know what the A stands for in asexual, uh, don't know what the I is, and the plus sign has me a little confused as well. So, if you guys know what the I and the plus sign mean... Please share it with me, because I don't want to remain ignorant. Or you're going to force me to go on Dead uh, oh, Talk. Saz writes, it's inclusion. Inclusion. Okay. I'm just trying to see how it relates to the LGBTQ, but inclusion. All right. Okay. Thanks, Saz. I may still have to research it anyways. <laughs> I may still have to research it. Okay. And my daughter told me there's also an S. Don't know what that's the end. She told me, but I forgot. Don't know what the S is. Anyway, let's proceed. Uh, so here are the two tweets. Another Walking Dead news. Andrew Lincoln recently joked that his exit from the show was a terrible decision as his children have missed Georgia. And we have discussed that uh, two days ago on how he's joking about it. Welcome to Preet Naya, welcome. Uh, Mormon says uh, intersex life is what it stands stands for. Okay, intersex life. And how's that different from the B? I gotta look it up I'm sorry i'm I'm just I'm just the more we talk about this, the more I'm confusing myself. All right, let's go on to the next thing. Ten horror movies that should have ended five minutes earlier, and God, oh, there are so many on that list. I have seen so many horror movies, and I've stated this here before as well, where the last several minutes ruin a great movie. I'm watching this great movie. And these directors, writers, want to get really fancy and leave it at some kind of a cliffhanger for a possibility uh, that it might get picked up for a sequel. And what they end up doing is destroying the entire movie. Not all the time, but I've seen it enough now to where I'm glad somebody wrote about it, okay? Okay. Let's see what they have to say. Uh, The movies that were uh, doing just fine before they tacked on one scene too many. Amen to that. For a film to work, it's cool. Before I proceed, I do want to acknowledge that, yeah, the ending is the biggest part of the movie. How you wrap up a story, and we're talking about movies only now, how you wrap up a movie is huge. It's, it's one of the biggest uh, milestones when you're watching a movie that is usually what's going to stick with you long after you are done watching that movie. And when I talk about these movies where they tack on these extra scenes or a minute or two of scenes that ruin it, it's not that they didn't have a point where they could have ended it and it would have been great, is they continue they should have stopped it you know a minute or two earlier but they wanted to get fancy and they took it and added a few more scenes and that's where they usually screw the pooch okay they screw it up right then and there uh for a film to work it's crucial to know where the story begins and more importantly where it ends. We've all seen movies that had potential, but were let down by an ending that was so that was cliched, silly, or absurd. Another problem is some movies literally don't know when to quit. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, and the remake of The Planet of the Apes suffer from having one ending to many. And I think uh, when it comes to, they mentioned the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, the Lord of the Rings movies that I have seen, I've, all, I've only seen the extended versions. I've never watched the theatrical shortened versions. So I've seen the movies that each one is like three and a half hours long. So, they don't specify that here. So, I don't know which ending in particular they're talking about. Uh, The Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, I think that ended pretty well. Uh, It ended exactly where the books ended. Uh, I don't know how many Harry Potter fans we have out there, but uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2 ended exactly just as the book ended. Uh, Sammy writes, Viz, the I in LGBTQIA+, is intersexed. I do not know what the plus means. Okay, so we have confirmation it means intersexed. I just want to find out what, how intersexed uh, differs itself from the other letters in the term. And I need to figure out what that plus means. Uh, all you need to do is add, um, you know, the. I guess you can add a letter for heterosexual or straight. And basically that term covers all of humanity. So you're just one letter short of covering all of humanity. That's it. And, you know, that term, we can switch it over to, to what it should be. A human being. (laughs) Instead of having to come up with a whole bunch of letters, just come up with a simple term. We're all human. Anyway, the practice happens quite often in horror movies, usually to tack on a big twist, set up a pointless sequel, or to perform one last jump scare. Although these sort of climaxes are intended to be shocking, they usually leave viewers feeling frustrated. If the film doesn't need a big twist, the director should not force one in. If the movie looks like it won't get a follow-up, the climax shouldn't set up a spin-off. If the story is wrapping up, the movie should end right then and there. Here are 10 movies that would have been better if the last scene was removed entirely now i agree exactly with everything they have said so far let's see if i agree with their list all right so let's see halloween h2o all right how many of you guys remember how h2o ends uh h2o ends by basically laurie strode uh abducting who she thought was michael myers and michael myers pulled a fast one Uh, she knew getting him locked up would not work he would eventually escape and she could not live the rest of her life the way she has been living her life hiding in fear of him finding her again so she kidnaps him he's in the squad car for some reason, you know, police do not arrest people and let them wear their mask. But, in the movie world, they did. They arrested Michael Myers, or who they thought was Michael Myers, but they never took the mask off. Now, in real life, that would never happen. The first thing they would do is take your damn mask off. So, Laurie gets in the car and rides off. Uh, with who she thinks is Michael Myers in the back. They get into an accident. A big struggle happens. Anyway, Michael, Laurie ends up decapitating who she thinks is Michael Myers. It is not until the next movie that we find out that the person that she decapitated was not Michael Myers at all. It was a a paramedic that while Michael was being tended to by a paramedic, Michael killed the paramedic, dressed the paramedic up in his clothes, put his mask on the paramedic, and Michael vanished into the night, and the poor paramedic ended up getting decapitated by Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Laurie Strode. And that leads up to the beginning of the next movie, Where we see Laurie Strode, because of what she did at the end of H2O, being institutionalized. She's institutionalized and uh, she is waiting for Michael to return. And lo and behold, he does. So, is this one of the movies I would put on the list? Not really. I like that ending. I thought it was a good twist. Okay, Nightmare on Elm Street. The ending on the ending a movie on a jump scare isn't always a bad thing as a concept. The final scene in the Nightmare on Elm Street is a great idea. After Nancy realizes the dream controlling demon, never really heard Freddy be referred to as a demon, but anyway, Freddy Krueger is powered by fear. She turns her back on him to prove she's not afraid of him. After he vanishes into thin air, we cut to a scene of Nancy's mother waving her daughter out of the house as she enters Glenn's convertible. Since we saw Freddy slaughter Glenn and Nancy's mom, we know something is amiss. As the car locks Nancy in the drives off by its and it drives off by itself, she realizes that she is trapped in one of Freddy's dreams. The last shot has Freddy dragging nancy's mother through the window the door's window before cutting to black i thought again that was an okay i would not have put that on the list it's funny to me that's that the two movies that they've done so far are movies that are 20 or more years uh earlier this is a phenomena that i'm noticing more in recent films not so much back in the day more in the last 5 to 10 years. Gerald's Game. Never heard of this movie. And since I've never seen it, I really can't judge it. And for the sake of time, I'm going to skip over it. Let's see. Maximum Overdrive. You know, I never liked this movie. (laughs) Ending or no ending. Let's see what's next on the list. These damn ads. Event Horizon. Uh, I mentioned this the other day. You guys know I love the Event Horizon. Paul W.S. Anderson's film begins with Lewis and Clark's spaceship being sent towards Neptune to retrieve a spacecraft called the Event Horizon. But when the original crew activates the wormhole, they were transported to hell. We talked about that. Thankfully, the Captain Miller splits the Event Horizon in two allowing his crew to escape in the ship's front before the wormhole activates. Although Miller is sent to hell, his crew survives, or so you would think. In the final scene, we see that the event horizon that the survivors are on is also alive, implying they will suffer a grisly death similar to their companions'. That's a matter of opinion. Again, I did not really think that was a bad ending. Number five, Alone in the Dark, Christian Slater movie. Uh, Let's see, Alone in the Dark is an infamous video game adaptation with Christian Slater playing paranormal investigator Edward Carnby. While pursuing a case, Carnby learns that a race of demons are entering our realm through an interdimensional gateway and are preparing to take over the world. In a final showdown, Carnby kills the demons and blows up the portal, cutting off their ability to enter our reality. Believing believing he saved the day, Carnby heads back to his home city. Unfortunately, the supernatural detective learns that the entire city has been abandoned. Well, while Carnby was uh, duking it out with these demonic creatures, another bunch of monsters that were never seen or mentioned attacked the city, causing everyone to evacuate. What are these creatures? It's never explained. Never seen the movie, so I can't say yay or nay. Unfriended. Okay, Unfriended is one of these movies that are basically a zoom or a skype session uh i talked about host uh several times over the last couple of weeks that just came out last year i love that movie uh lindsey sparks writes i like the way event horizon ended so did i so did i jd is with us on twitch elm street gets a pass i do i agree with that i'm gonna give elm street a pass i thought that was a pretty decent ending And that did get a lot of follow-ups. Maybe a few more than it should have, but it definitely got a sequel. In Unfriended, a group of friends are chatting on Skype until they announce they notice an anonymous caller among them. Now, yeah, I I had forgotten the plot. I've seen this movie. I had forgotten the plot for a second, but this is creepy. This is a creepy movie. This entity turns out to be the ghost of Laura, a girl who was maliciously bullied by every person in that Skype call. After a humiliating video of her was uploaded online, Laura took her own life. Throughout the film, the enraged Spectre uses the supernatural powers to kill each person in this call. Now, Unfriended isn't isn't great and became dated very quickly. I liked it. Does anyone even use Skype anymore? Hell yeah, we do. But the ending feels especially weak. In the final scene, Laura has killed everyone in the conversation, save for her former friend, Blair. The haunting spirit then unloads a video on Facebook proving that Blair, Blair filmed the clip that encouraged Laura to kill herself. Now, to me, that is not an ending that did not belong. Uh, That is an ending to explain uh, one of the motivations behind this spirit coming back and exacting revenge on the people that humiliated her and caused her to take her own life. So I definitely don't agree with this. The blob. I'm going to give the blob a pass. I thought that was pretty good. I still know what you did last summer, which is the sequel to I know what you did last summer. Uh I don't know what to say about this. Neither great nor bad. It was okay. Uh this movie has the same conclusion. During an epic showdown, Julie shoots Ben eight times, drops his body in an open grave. But in the final scene, we see Ben once again break into Julie's room and seemingly kill her. First off, how is he alive? Secondly, did the filmmakers really do that ending again? They're criticizing for basically using the same ending from the first movie, on the second movie and that looking back is actually true never really thought of it that way but they are correct number one on the list is 10 cloverfield lane all this ought to be interesting there is no question that 10 cloverfield lane is a well-made movie it's brilliantly shot intensely atmospheric and john goodman gives the scariest performance of his career Nevertheless, viewers were confused since it bared little resemblance to its predecessor. And I was one of those people. It had the name Cloverfield in the title, but was it a Cloverfield movie? The answer to that is yes. Yes, the Cloverfield movies are the type of movies, the sequels that are very loosely associated with each other uh but at the end of the day they all tell different stories and events that happened to basically lead up to what we saw in the original cloverfield and 10 cloverfield lane is one of the movies that explains what happens during that cloverfield monster outbreak um Cloverfield centered around a colossal monster terrorizing a city. This movie revolves around a woman named Michelle being locked in a bunker by a deranged man. Although he claims the surface has been infected by lethal chemicals, his erratic behavior encourages Michelle to try and escape. When she leaves the bunker in the final scene, she is attacked by an alien. After defeating the extraterrestrial, she escapes in her car only to see a monstrously sized UFO in the sky before the credits roll. So, you know what? Remembering this ending, that whole after-driving scene, that did not have to be in the movie. So, I'm going to agree with it. I would not put it as number one on my list. In fact... All the movies that I'm thinking about, not a single one of them are on this list. This ending feels so out of, the, of left field since the story relied on slow, well-paced psychological horror until this moment. Considering there is zero mention of extraterrestrials up until this point, you can understand why viewers were completely thrown off by this climax. Not only should the film have ended with Michelle escaping from her captor, the script should have scrubbed all associations with Cloverfield since it has no real association to the events in that film. And, you know, they could be right on that. Uh, it's a great movie. Does it have to be a part of the Cloverfield universe? No. No. Uh, you take it out of the Cloverfield universe, it is still a great movie, any which way you look at it. Uh, but they decided to make it a part of the universe and just show a different aspect of what's going on in the world. So, somebody mentioned up what about Chandler Riggs in the hospital, and I do have an article about that. So let's just talk about that real quick. Carl Grimes star updates fans after a hospital trip with mystery illness. The Walking Dead star Chandler Riggs, who played Carl Grimes in the AMC horror, sparked concern from his social media following today after sharing a snap from his hospital bed. Chandler Riggs became best known to The Walking Dead fans as Rick's son carl during his 10-year stint on the amc drama as a result a 21 year old has built up quite the social media following all of whom were left sending their well wishes to the star after he shared a snap of him from a hospital bed with a mystery illness sharing the photo uh, both on his twitter and instagram pages riggs could be seen recovering from his bed the walking dead star gave thumbs up to his followers but didn't detail exactly why he was sought medical attention however the walking dead actor seemed to be in high spirits as he captioned the snaps we're back we back uh, he followed up with a separate tweet which read buying more gme for my hospital bed today, can't stop, won't stop, GameStop. So, uh, we don't know why he's in the hospital. I hope he's okay. Following his post, it didn't take long for fans to send their well wishes, as well as seek answers to what had happened to the actor. One of Rig's followers asked on Twitter, Chandler, give us a context. I'm losing my mind. Again, skirting around the details, Riggs simply replied with a smirking devil emoji. Hundreds of uh, Riggs, 1.5 million Twitter followers, also flooded his inbox with concern. And there's the picture. And uh, I don't know what would send him, you know, besides coming down with COVID, uh, You know, I don't know. I mean, I'd be completely guessing. I hope everything goes okay. Get well soon, bud. Tweeted one follower a second. What happened to you this time? I hope you are well and that you can eat something. I know how disgusting hospital food can be. Another follower added. I hope you get well soon, babe. While a fourth added, well wishes. Stay safe. Take your time and get some rest. So, uh, yeah, Lindsay was the one who brought up Chandler Riggs. So, this doesn't really answer why he's in the hospital. I have no idea. Today, uh, during this COVID pandemic that we're living in, you are advised, basically, at least here in the United States, to not go to the hospital unless absolutely necessary. So, whatever happened with him... uh, It was a necessity for him to go to the hospital it could be something as minor as dehydration or he fell and might have broken the toe we don't know but he is in high spirits and he seems like he's gonna be okay our well wishes are being sent out to chandler and uh hopes for a very speedy recovery no matter what the issue might be so The other day, we did not get to our topic. Uh, We were going to discuss urban legends. So I thought today would be a great day to show a video that I was going to show to you guys on Monday in regards to horror movies and urban legends. So let's go ahead. Uh, This is from What Culture? It's a video about the 10 most uh you know widely known urban legends that have been used in horror movies so let me go ahead let me bring that up and we can check it out
1: here it is. horror movies are just campfire stories made tangible. made tangible. Instead of a torch under some twerpy teenager's chin, though, we, we get, get studio lights flaring down on our grisly settings, transforming shadows on the wall into monstrous creatures that make for the most terrifying of tales. So it makes sense then that the horror genre borrows heartily from the stories that have already been whispered for generations. Urban legends, with stories from Candyman to The Grudge to, of course, urban legend fitting the bill, are ripe for the picking when it comes to horror movies, since the mythos around them has already been steeped in our collective subconscious. Whether they're eerily familiar stories wrapped up in shiny new packaging or age-old classics spun into visual feasts for the senses, urban legends are absolutely the sinewy, Rotting backbone of the genre. And naturally, films become all the more scary when you take a look at the inspiration that makes them, especially when they come with one foot firmly planted in reality. I am Bloody Ash from what culture? and these are 10 horror movies inspired by creepy urban legends. 10. Giant Alligators Live in the Sewer System Alligator You have all heard that story of rogue reptiles growing unfathomably large in the sewers. I love They're this bought as little tank up. pets before growing uncomfortably big in unprepared owners' homes, and end up making a swift exit a down the nearest toilet rather than releasing them back into the wild. There, they feast on all of your dirty doings and and dumped goldfish for years, until they grow to unchecked, monstrous proportions to attack sewer workers sure and take over the underground. This, Sometimes they even some become mutated from the toxic nature this. of sewage systems TV and incorrectly movie. disposed of waste, which like is exactly where 80s. 80s monster movie Alligator gets its titular beastie from. Chomping down on discarded corpses of animal test subjects imbued with a growth formula, the alligator grows to ridiculous proportions and quickly moves on to humans for its main course. Alligators sewers aren't unheard of but gigantic irradiated
0: excuse me for our instagram viewers uh i'm using my entire screen so uh instagram doesn't allow you to use your entire screen for live streams so if you want to view the entire screen please switch on over to youtube twitch twitter facebook instagram is very tight and i can't just to fully use my full capabilities on my live stream, I got to use the entire real estate that all my other four streaming platforms allow, except for Instagram. So I apologize for that. Uh, During the archive Instagram, when I archive this on Instagram, it is as the full screen. But during the live, they only show it in portrait mode. So my apologies, there is nothing I can do about that
1: p moss rampaging through the pipes would probably get better coverage than one campy B-movie from the 80s. As scary as the thought of prehistoric monsters out for fleshes whilst you're sitting on the porcelain throne, you're probably safe on this one. Or, so you'd hope. 9. The Jiangsan Tiger Will Lure You to Your Death The Mimic The mimic does exactly what it says on the tin for the most part, with this South Korean scare fest depicting the story of local folklore with terrifying results. The film is based on stories of the Jangsan Tiger, a creature that dwells in a mountain of the same name that can uncannily replicate the sound of a wailing woman to lure people to its location. Whilst the movie roughly follows the beats of a family's grief at losing a child, then welcoming a new one into the family home in the form of a lost little girl, before questioning whether she is in fact a lost little girl at all or something else entirely, the legend itself is far more straightforward. It's said that the tiger lurks in the forests and calls people to their deaths with its mimicry ability, using both the call of a woman and the sounds of running water to draw everyone from good Samaritans to thirsty wanderers to their doom. Covered in fine white fur and able to move at great speeds, it's a cryptid creature yet to have a foolproof sighting, but its man-eating myth remains spooky all the same. 8. Spiders can lay eggs in your face Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was born from books heavily influenced by folklore, crafted with extensive research and brought to life with sinister illustrations that make for nightmarishly plausible reading. The film takes its share of these stories to highlight, but the most scarring, both mentally and physically, comes in the form of the Red Spot. Faithful to its source, we see a young woman bitten on the face by a spider, with the resulting spot left behind actually containing hundreds of baby spiders that burst out and render her insane from shock. Understandably, really, the story is one that dates back decades, to the 60s in fact in Europe, and one often brought up to scare those traveling abroad, albeit completely scientifically inaccurate. Thank God. It's slightly drawn from the 1842 short story by Jeremiah Scott Health, titled The Black Spider, in which a woman is kissed by the devil on the cheek and is punished for not upholding a deal by spiders popping out intermittently from the same spot before she herself is turned into one. There really is no nice outcome for this poor woman, is there? 7. Hanako-san will pull you into her toilet Phantom of the Toilet Just when you thought you'd had it with the toilet content, I'm right back at it again with a girl that lives in your grot bowl. The tale of Anako-san is much like Bloody Mary, serving as a ghost summoned in school bathrooms by young girls attempting to scare each other. Anako-san is said to have died in in a bathroom, either at the hands of an adult or by suicide, though this varies depending on how dramatic the storyteller is feeling, and can be conjured by knocking three times on the third stall of the third floor girls' toilets. She's fond of threes. If she's there, she'll let you know, and then pull the person that disturbed her into her own watery hell at the bottom of the bog. The legend is one of the most popular in Japan for its widespread seeding through schools, and of course, through being committed to film, too. Phantom of the Toilet, or School Mystery, depending on which title you're watching, though I know which one I prefer, and spins the legend into a benevolent spirit instead of the evil toilet monster she is often known as. That's nice. Making your home in a toilet must come with enough bad PR as it is. Six, the Jersey Devil lurks in the woods, the Barons it's not a particularly well-executed movie, The Barons does sink its teeth into a pretty gnarly local legend for the inhabitants of New Jersey. With the Pine Barons to the south of the state New often Jersey. claimed to be home to the Jersey Devil, this movie commits the beast to curse Celluloid, portraying a family who go camping in the forest only to cross paths with the mythological creature itself. The Jersey Devil is a long-standing tale that was born from Mother Leeds, quite literally, in 1735. Pregnant with her 13th child, she quite understandably cursed the thing before it was born, resulting in it transforming into a winged creature with a goat's head and a nasty tail before flying up out the chimney and into the barrens for good. There it terrorizes the locals and feasts upon livestock, unable to be killed by even cannonballs fired upon it. The Jersey Devil has had plenty of hoax captures throughout the years, but remains as a persistent myth that crops up plenty of sightings, and has done since the early 1800s. 5. The Bermuda Triangle Is The Result Of Alien Interference Triangle. Triangle is the creepy, time-distorting story of Jess and her friends as they head out on a yacht for a boat trip, only to capsize during a storm and take shelter on an abandoned ocean liner. On the giant ship, a strange time loop takes hold of Jess that results in doppelgangers, murders, and piles of decaying bodies from the previous loops she has been through, with no clear understanding of when, why, or how this is happening. The title doesn't really help in giving anything away either, perhaps indicated as a triangle to show the three times Jess wakes up on screen or as the beginning, middle, and end that she can't escape. That is, unless you take into account the film's setting in Miami and realise she sails straight out into the Bermuda Triangle and into the unknown. The Bermuda Triangle, of course, is a region between Bermuda, Florida, and Puerto Rico largely a geography made of ocean, where planes and ships often mysteriously disappear. There's legends of the triangle being paranormal or even extraterrestrial in nature, which explains a strange loop taking over Jess's existence, right? There's clear symbolism for purgatory in Jess's story, but what's to say it doesn't come at the hands of a little green man pulling the strings? Four, a narcissistic spirit can give you a Chelsea smile. Carved the Slip-Mouthed Woman The legend of the slip Woman is a common spooky story that has long circulated Japan. With the bothersome spirit serving as the central premise for the 2007 movie, Notice a lot of these the are, are Asian woman. stories. In the film, the stories of Kuchisake-onna begin to circulate a town, taken straight from the country's own urban legend in kind. Kuchisake-onna is a malevolent spirit that wears a cloth mask and carries a sharp instrument, asking victims if they think she's pretty. If you answer no, you'll get stabbed. And if you answer yes, she'll show you what's under her mask. Disfigured with a slice from ear to ear, the spirit then asks if she's still beautiful. To which a no will still get you stabbed, or a yes will get you a slash across the face in the same way. There is no winning here. The film takes this lose-lose situation and channels it into an evil force that kidnaps children and possesses mothers. Wreaking havoc across the town, she haunts. Whilst the legend is more conversation-based and has ways of escaping the spirit, like throwing hard candy, Eve or telling her she's average at best, the film is a touch more pessimistic she on her chances. Fair enough. Three. Mouth, Bigfoot is real, and he's horny. Willow <laughs> Creek. The legend of Bigfoot is way (laughs) creepier than modern popularization has given it credit for. But Willow Creek remembers. Willow Creek pinpoints exactly what is scary about a giant, hairy, ape-like man that lumbers through the forest and acts it out in excruciatingly restrained detail, pitting a couple against the wilderness as they try and capture evidence of Bigfoot's existence. It's not just the legend of Bigfoot being real, which serves as the central creepy urban legend though, but rather the implication of its ending that really hammers the fright home. Spoilers for the movie will follow as it ends with boyfriend Jim murdered by Bigfoot and Kelly picked up and taken into the night, presumably to become a forest bride. This is a phenomenon discussed by Bigfoot enthusiasts in which a human woman is taken to procreate with by Bigfoot, which would explain a missing naked woman roaming through the woods right before Kelly is taken. She was its last bride. It's a cryptozoology myth that you have to dig out, but it's still a pretty horrifying one to ever imagine actually happening. Two, Eating babies keeps you young Dumplings Dumplings depicts aging actress Mrs. Lee desperate for youth and beauty who seeks the help of a local chef May gives Mrs. Lee dumplings made from unborn fetuses, which she soon relies on to keep looking the way that she wants. The idea of eating fetuses originated with artist Zhu Yu, who claimed he'd cannibalised them for an art display and sparked outrage enough to get himself prosecuted. In reality, he most likely ate a prop of some sort, like duck with a doll's head on, to get his message across. There's been reports of eating children and the likes in China for a few decades through the consumption of pills or soup for rejuvenation, though those that have been seized were discovered to be placenta rather than actual babies. Hoaxes have been rife since used display at the turn of the millennium, with social media springing all sorts of lies posed as facts in its wake. It's a disturbing urban legend but this baby soup should be taken with a large dose of salt. 1. Native American Horrors Stalk the Wilderness Headcount Headcount director Elle Callahan created her own original creation to stalk a group of teens in rural Joshua Tree in Headcount. The film sees Evan meet a bunch of other students out partying in the desert, it, and joins them for a weekend at their sprawling villa. But little does he realize that reading aloud a story online will conjure a strange, shape-shifting monster that subsequently terrorizes the group by posing as each of the friends. Callahan herself stated that she drew a lot of inspiration from creatures like Wendigos and a little bit of witchcraft. But what feels most appropriate for this legend is the story of the Goatman as told by Anansi. Born itself from creepypasta forums, exactly like the one Evan reads from, the Goatman is an entity that lives in the woods and in groups by inter- all
0: right there you guys go uh like i said a lot of those movies are from asia i have not heard of them uh a lot of those urban legends themselves i've never heard of i gotta say i've never heard of the horny bigfoot that's a first for me anyway guys we are out of time for tonight uh it's been a fun show as it always is i love spending this hour with you guys thank you so much for tuning in Please check us out on the web at deadtalklive.com. Feel free to visit any of our five social media platforms YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, or Twitter. You can find us under the name Dead Talk Live. Uh, I'll be back on the air again tomorrow night. I hope everyone stays safe. And until tomorrow night, remember, stay walking, guys. Good night.